The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, man? Not much. Just another good week ahead and a wild, wild weekend in return. I'm ready to get into it. All right. Before we get into it, we just want to let everybody know that you can find Know the Score on the web at www.cspn.us. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can also follow the show's Twitter account on Twitter at KTSPod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente, and you can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon. All right, Dwayne, as you alluded to, the NCAA tournament got started. Actually, it got started last Tuesday as, you know, we had the play-in games Tuesday and Wednesday, which led into the, you know, tournament proper, which started on Thursday and Friday. And the tournament has not disappointed. The madness started on uh, the play-in games with St. Bonaventure stunning UCLA to move on to the big tournament. Then in day one, Arizona gets blown out by Buffalo and Loyola Chicago upsets Miami with a late three at the buzzer. But all of that stuff got trumped in comparison when 16C UMBC University of Maryland at Baltimore County defeated the number one overall seed Virginia 74 to 54 on Friday for the biggest upset in the history of basketball, college, pro, semi-pro, backyard basketball, any form of basketball you could probably think of. So, Dwayne, the tournament is known for the upsets, and we got the biggest upset of them all. Your thoughts and just uh, the the ease at which UMBC dismantled Virginia in the second half. Uh, what were your thoughts while it was happening and then afterwards when it was all said and done? Well, it started when the time the score was twenty one twenty one at halftime. So Virginia was pretty much playing at their pace and UMBC was pretty much staying with them. But the second half though, it was just UMBC just decided to just come out and just start firing at will. And so as I was looking at the scores, I was at work at the time, I'm like, okay, this could be interesting. It's a double digit lead, but you know, we've seen this before. Um, Virginia will make a run. The good teams always do make a run. A run was made, but it was UMBC extending that lead to twenty. And then then they just were not letting up. Very relentless attack on offense. Uh tenacious defense. Virginia just had zero answers. And at the end of the day, we end up with the biggest upset in the history of basketball. And whenever you have something monumental like this, it's really just an amazing thing to see. It's an amazing thing to be a part of because we just never know. We never thought this would happen. And for it to actually happen and for it to finally uh, be the number one overall seed uh, pick for virtually everybody to win it all, it was amazing. And I was really, really happy for 
those young men and Ryan Odom, Dave Odom's son, very, very classy guy. And you got to give Tony Bennett, you know, the way he handled it with class, you really would hate that the the players on the Virginia side, I mean, you go 31-2, and two, breeze through the ACC, and, you know, they picked the wrong time to have a bad day. And, and that's just how the NCAA tournament is. If you have a bad day at the office, that's it. We basically saw the Haley's Comet of sports upsets this past weekend. That will probably be maybe a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. And the strange thing was UMBC was breaking down Virginia's defense off the dribble drive. It was amazing to see them just getting into the lane and penetrating, and then that was causing all kinds of havoc for Virginia's defense, which led to a lot of open threes, and they were not missing. At all. At all. And then uh, defensively, they were making Virginia work. Uh, like I said, I remember a couple of weeks ago, Dwayne, I was like, you know, if so, I, I would be interested to see how Virginia would act if someone just pressed them to not steal the ball, but just kind of speed the tempo up. And that's exactly what happened in the second half. Got them right. playing a little bit faster, got them taking shots a, a little bit sooner than they normally would. And then UMBC on the other end would, would use more of the shot clock, kind of use their own strategy against them. And it, it worked to perfection. It was a perfect storm because Virginia, once they got down by double digits and UMBC kept scoring, oh, it was a wrap because that was Virginia's only hope was to rely on their defense to bring them back because we know that their offense isn't like a quick strike at all. You know, scoring bunches type of offense. So Yeah, and and you know, we can all say, you know, I mean Virginia and even if DeAndre Hunter was playing on to on that night, it wouldn't even made a difference if he was playing the way UMBC was just penetrating the ball, getting the ball out, playing inside out on offense and like I said, just wreaking havoc and, you know, with the pressure or without you trying to force a turnover just rattling Virginia um, on the defensive side so um, probably you know and this was a team remember they lost to Albany in January 83 to 39 and they finished second in the America East Conference and you know won the tournament in Vermont which is a very tough place to play as it is at the buzzer and then to play uh, Virginia and beat them in the first round because the first uh, 16 seed ever to win. That's just a remarkable turnaround and comeback to end the season. All right. Some other notable games that happened in the first round. Marshall got its first ever NCAA tournament win with this upset over Wichita State. This is Wichita State's you know first really season as like a top 10 team all year. And uh, they got bit in the tournament. Is usually they were the ones sneaking up on people, but this year Marshall snuck up on them. Uh, Nevada and Texas played a great game that went into overtime. Nevada five for five in overtime uh, made it through to the second round. Uh, great game by Texas. Uh, things changed when Bam fouled out. There are talented freshmen, seven foot freshmen, allowed Nevada to be able to get to the rim. And Nevada has two twin brothers that are pretty good um, as well. But the second round produced its share of upsets as well as Loyola Chicago kept the train going 
as they got a last-second win over Tennessee. Definitely the talk of the Sweet 16, the little team that could. Uh, they have Sister Jean, their, you know, adorable, you know, older lady who's become their unofficial, like, you know, mascot and rally and cry. So just talk about little Chicago. They they beat Miami on a late game three, pull up three. That was, uh, you know, fantastic. And then, then they survived against Tennessee. Um, you know, they hit a shot with seconds to go. Tennessee inbound the ball, got a pretty good look. Just rammed up, just rammed out, and Loyola Chicago was in the Sweet 16. Yeah, that was a really good game, both games for Loyola Chicago, and it just shows that even though the Missouri Valley lost Creighton and and uh, Wichita State over the last several years, that the Valley is still uh, a force to be reckoned with, uh, putting teams in the Sweet 16. Uh, this is Loyola Chicago's first um, Sweet 16 appearance in 23 years, and you know they're trying to get even more even further back to where they haven't been in about 55 years when they won the national title in 1963. So um, it's going to be a really, really good game, especially now Loyola or Loyola Chicago or Nevada, they'll be an elite eight team. And, and they, they've been great all season long. Um, Sister Jean, the team chaplain, who's just been there for, uh, many many years, and you know she's just always supported the team, and really they became the the darlings of the tournament, you know. And I really like I really like how they've had a great season all along. They were uh, one of my personal teams to watch out for, and they're showing why. Um, they're twenty eight and five, I believe, right now, and you know they breeze through the Missouri Valley, and. It just shows that even though you lost two big forces in Creighton and Wichita State, that they can still produce some good basketball. So shout out to the Missouri Valley for that. You mentioned Nevada. They have been the cardiac kids of the tournament. Like I said, they had that great game against Texas where they won in overtime. And then they upset number two seed Cincinnati with a comeback for the ages. They were down 20-something to start the second half. They came all the way back to win at the end. And Nevada, like you said, will face Lola Chicago in the uh, Sweet 16 with the right to go to the Elite Eight. So Nevada, I mean, like I said, they've, they've played two fantastic games, very entertaining. Just, you know, a team that doesn't quit. They play the whole 40 minutes. Uh, they have a really good backcourt, and uh, all their guys can shoot the ball from outside. So they, you know, pull out a team that has traditional big men pull them away from the basket, and it helps the guards drive. So talk about Nevada, just what you saw with them, if you've got a chance to see them play uh, any of those two games that they played in the tournament. Well, I wanted to see them live, but work kind of prevented me from doing that. So I did want to see, um, you know, those games up close. But I was really impressed with Nevada, their their poise and their composure down the stretch. Um you know, getting Mo Bamba out the game uh, in the Texas game was very crucial to their success and getting that OT win over the Longhorns. And pretty much, you know, Cincinnati, I knew they were going to be shaky because of the matchups they had. They had to play Georgia State, which would have been, which was a tough matchup for them, even though they ended up pulling away, but the score wasn't really reflective of of the performance Georgia State had. And, you know, I think they coasted and thought in the second half that they were good. And 
Uh, when you play prevent basketball, it's kind of like playing the prevent defense. You prevent yourselves from winning. And with the tenacious mindset that Nevada has, the pack mentality, uh, they came out and had a great comeback and ended up taking out Cincinnati. And now uh, it's going to be a really good game between two mid-major schools and two teams that, you know, have pretty good basketball traditions, and we're going to see a pretty good fight for the Elite Eight coming up. All right. Some other notable upsets in the second round included Florida State upsetting number one seed Xavier to advance to the Sweet 16. Syracuse toppled Michigan State, and Texas A&M crushed my beloved Tar Heels to, to move into the round of 16. So Florida State, Syracuse, Texas A&M, which one of those wins was the most impressive to you out of those three that moved on to the Sweet 16? Kind of hard to pick one, Don. I mean, I would have to say first the Texas A&M. That one I was not expecting, uh, especially a virtual home game for the Tar Heels at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte. So I was just thinking, okay, Carolina, they do like all the other teams. They they go on that run because Liscom played them hard in the first round. And then Carolina went on a run, and it was pretty much lights out. But anytime Carolina attempted to run against Texas A&M, Texas A&M had an answer for it. Um, this is probably the most talented Texas A&M team I've seen since the AC Law years. And so – it was just something to watch. Um, the Williams kid from Texas A&M, he was flying all over the place. I think he had, like, springs in his legs. They might need to check his shoes or something uh, because he has some, some get-up. And the way he was able to rebound, attack the rim, put on the show with the dunks. And I think North Carolina just was not ready for the fact that Texas A&M can run along with him. And – no interior presence, like they don't have that inside stopping like they have with Kennedy Meeks last year, and that affected them a lot towards the end. And also, um, the Florida State win over Xavier, uh, pretty much Cincinnati schools could not get out of Nashville this go around, and um, you know, seems like Xavier just sees as a stick to being a number sixty with seven or eight or nine or ten losses and make an Elite Eight run versus being a number one seed and can't even get out the first weekend. So, And then um, the Syracuse-Michigan State. Michigan State was my pick to win it all, but Syracuse suffocating zone defense. Uh, of course, they were one of my teams that I really felt like should not have been in, but they got in and they're showing why they should have been in the first place and um, sets up a, a region where uh, they have two fellow – ACC foes as well. Right. Uh, yeah, the Carolina thing was just a, uh, a bad matchup where we ran into a team with some experienced big men, and that's been kind of the Achilles heel of the Tar Heels all season. And then it, it was also compounded with the game where they couldn't make any threes, and this has been one of the best uh, three-point shooting North Carolina Tar Heel teams in Roy Williams' tenure. And so with the, like you said, no inside presence to kind of counteract Texas A&M's inside scoring and not making any threes, yeah, it made for a long afternoon. I thought Syracuse uh, defensively, uh, we knew what the zone was going to do. Michigan State didn't make enough outside shots, and Syracuse did. And, you know, they were able to hold on and win that game. And I think Florida State is one of those teams that's, 
they always seem to play better in the tournament because teams don't get a chance to prepare for them. Whereas in the ACC, everybody knows what Leonard Hamilton is going to do and all this stuff. But if you don't have a lot of chance to prepare for them, they're always one of the bigger teams. And I think people will get shocked at just how big and long they are when they get in this tournament format where you just see them on film and you don't really have that, you know, chance to play them year in and year, year out. So, you know, good for those guys. Now we're going to move on and talk about some dominant teams that were, uh, that played this weekend we had Villanova looking outstanding every bit you know final four caliber Duke as well uh, they had two very easy victories uh, this past weekend Clemson surprisingly dominated Auburn in the second round game beat them by almost 30 and West Virginia as well so Dwayne that old foe of West Virginia still lurking out there they're looking pretty good. We could get, you know, on that side of the bracket, we still pretty much got our number one and number two seeds on that side. So, you know, we could get a Kansas-West Virginia Final Four, maybe still still in the works. West Virginia is going to have to get by Villanova. If they – I'm not – I mean, of course, you. they got lucky with the Wichita State being upset by Marshall. I think that was a gift from Marshall to their our travels. In the state of West Virginia, I was hoping Marshall would have played a closer game, but um, West Virginia, they did their thing. Um, they just have a, I mean, I've seen this before in West Virginia. They play certain teams very well. They look like they're dominant, but when they get to a team that is better than them, they just don't know how to uh, hold leads or close leads or close games out. So I'm not really going to say anything until – they beat Villanova. If they do, that's going to be that's going to be the test for for them. Um, uh, it's just something that you know they've been hyped up all season long. They were hyped up in the Big Twelve to take over the Big Twelve crown for Kansas. They haven't done that. They haven't beat the Jayhawks at all this season. They fold against lesser teams anyway in the Big Twelve. So I'm just not impressed i'm sorry if there's any west virginia fans out there but i've seen this team three times and i've seen this team more time more often than anything else and you know they just aside from pressure they've had two good games but you know if they want to be impressive they got to be a team that's better than them and i think villanova's a better team than west virginia all right. Now we'll talk about the rest of the Sweet 16 as we had Michigan. They had a very impressive opening round win. And then they hit a miracle buzzer beater to beat Houston. Uh, Houston went up by two with 3.5 seconds left. And Michigan had to go the length of the court. And John Beeline with a great play where they inbounded it to about three quarters court. The guy took a couple of dribbles, got a screen, passed it off to his teammate who shot about a 35 footer, nothing but net and Michigan moves on to the sweet 16. Dwayne, that's going to be one of the, you know, one shining moment. Uh, it's going to be in the highlight for sure. Just talk about just the execution of that last like 10 seconds from Houston. They did everything right. Their defense on the last, uh, you know, second play by Michigan was actually really good as well. Kid just hit a fantastic shot. I would say a fantastic lucky shot because, <laughs> like you said, they, the, you could not play that thing. You could not play that any better on defense. You had the hand up. You jumped along with them. Everything was done right. It was just God was on Michigan. The basketball gods were on Michigan's side that day, and it seems like 
for a lot of these games over the last couple of years. It seems like ever since that that um, plane wreck, you know, thank God everybody was all right on that Michigan plane. But it seems like ever since then, they've had some great postseason luck since then. Um, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good in this tournament. And and the Wolverines are there for a reason. If you would have told me a team from Michigan, not named the Spartans, would have been in the Sweet 16, I would not have believed you. But that's what that's why you play the game. Right. Gonzaga survived an upset bid in the opening round by UNC Greensboro, and then they outlasted Ohio State in the second round to move on to the Sweet 16. So Gonzaga, last year's national runner-up, they got a chance again to, you know, get back to the at least the Elite Eight and maybe a chance to go back to the Final Four. So, you know, Mark Few has basically made Gonzaga into a, a power team now. They're not a, a mid-major or anything like that anymore. And it's not surprising that they, you know, took care of business and got to the Sweet 16, even though this has been kind of a rebuilding year uh, for them. Yeah, it's been one of his best coaching jobs, you know, with all of the talent that he lost last year and just the way these guys have bought in and they continue to buy in year in and year out and the way Gonzaga has risen to the elite. And now they are, you know, trying to get some unfinished business in and, um, you know, surviving UNC Greensboro and, and then Ohio State. Ohio State, they spent a lot of time trying to get back in the game. And Gonzaga just made a few more shots at the end. So, uh, shout out to the Zags. Um, they're, they're really trying to make a run back to the Final Four and get back to where they felt like they should have been a year ago. Kentucky, much maligned all season, got into the tournament and they got by Davidson and then they won convincingly over Buffalo. So Kentucky is starting to play their best basketball of the year. Um, they shot good enough to beat Davidson in the first game. Davidson was really cold in the first half, didn't make a lot of threes, made up for it in the second half. But Kentucky was able to, uh, you know, out-rebound them, keep them off the backboards, and, and held on to win that one. And then in, Buff- in the game against Buffalo in the second half, uh, they really stretched it out and won by 20. So it looks like Kentucky may be rounding into form at the perfect time. At the perfect time, I think. They also benefit from having the one, two, three, and four seeds all gone from the tournament as well. And so it's going to be really, really fun to see how they play in the Battle of the Wildcats with Kansas State and then even to see how they go up against the um, the upstarts in Loyola, Chicago, Nevada. But the South region is just so wrecked at the moment. It's it's really at this point, you know, you look at the odd test, it's just like, okay, Kentucky, this is this is actually Kentucky's region to lose now pretty much. Texas Tech, is they had an impressive first-round victory, and then they had to hold on for dear life against Florida. Florida had three chances down by three to tie the game, missed all three chances, and Texas Tech is moving on to the Sweet 16. So the SEC and the Big 12 were represented very well in this year's uh, Sweet 16 so far. Uh, the SEC only really has two at this point. Uh, Texas Tech, uh, Big 12 is going to have four. The ACC's got four. Um, but Texas Tech, they've been the more impressive team 
out of the Big 12 field to me this season. I really thought that the streak would have ended in Lubbock, but this, this is a team that has found its stride at the right time, and and um, Keenan Evans is healthy, and he's on a mission to really put um, Texas Tech back, well, not back, but really in the na- national spotlight and with the coaching Chris Beard, co-Big 12 Coach of the Year with Bill Self. Um, these guys have a bright, bright future ahead in Lubbock, and and um, I would like to see Texas Tech go pretty far. I hope they do get by Purdue and see, and maybe even set up a West Virginia-Texas Tech Sweet 16 matchup. I know Texas Tech has, I know they've played three times already, and I think West Virginia is a 2-1, to one, but we shall see how that goes if it gets to that point. All right. Speaking of Purdue, they lost their big man, Isaac Haas, in the first round win. And then Isaac Haas's brace wasn't cleared by the NCAA. And Purdue had to survive an upset bid from Butler to move into this week 16. The latest on Isaac Haas is that he is not expected to play anymore in this tournament, even if the brace does get cleared. So Purdue dealt a big blow. Injuries always a major factor in winning the championship in any sport. And the NCAA tournament is no exception. So uh, your thoughts on Purdue having to go the rest of the way, possibly more than likely, without the centerpiece of their offense, Isaac Haas. That's such a benefit to everybody else because Isaac Haas is Ivan Drago. And if Ivan Drago's not playing, that is good for everybody else. So... Um, teams that they do have another big man, but he's not Isaac Haas. But I would like to say that Texas Tech, though, um, if they use their athleticism to run around, produce big, a backup big man, then they have a good chance to win. But that's really the way you have to beat Purdue is, is a you know run them ragged and then drive on them and get them in foul trouble. And that's either with or without Haas. It is a huge blow. They are very deep, though, and very athletic. And, you know, they can offset that loss. But it's uh, it's really beneficial that Haas is not playing for the opponent. But it is very bad for Purdue. I think he just needs to focus on getting that elbow healthy for next season. And, and um, you know, maybe they'll be, like, the heavier favorites to win it all. And last but not least... Dwayne's beloved Kansas Jayhawks. They got a scare from Seton Hall, but they close it out at the end, and they're moving on to the Sweet 16. So Dwayne assessed the Jayhawks' performance this weekend, and what do you see moving forward to the next weekend? Everybody thought that Kansas would be the one seed to lose, and they were not. So yes, they were down 10 to 10 on Thursday in the opening game, and they made their run and they pretty much played a very good game. Um, but the scare for Seton Hall, it was it was one of those things where, you know, Angel Delgado had a monster game. He had twenty four points and twenty three rebounds. But the factor of that Seton Hall win was Yudoka Azubuki, who was playing on an MCL sprain and he pretty much even though Delgado had a monster game, if Doak was not playing the 22 minutes that he played in that game, Kansas would have been out because Delgado was just abusing everybody. 
in the front court midlife, uh, Silvio De Souza had no answer for him. And even though Azubuki got into foul trouble, that was enough to suppress Delgado for the moment. And uh, the, the very end of the game, you know, Seton Hall was Kadeen Carrington. He was like four for four. Uh, he had like 16 points. He had four three-pointers. And he was really, really hot. He was not trying to have Seton Hall lose the game. But Kansas made timely free throws and a dagger three by Speeding out the song by Kai Luke. Um, that was the biggest factor in that win. And Malik Newman, who picked up the slack, he's had 28 points since then. Um, he's been the guy to watch out for. Everybody's been focused on Devontae Graham, but Malik Newman's had four 20 point games or more in the last five contests. And so he's been taking the load off of Devontae, and everybody else has been picking up the slack. So. Um, Kansas pretty much is them versus the ACC at this point in the Midwest region. The the only good thing for them, the good thing for them is is in Omaha, which is two hours from Lord, so it's a virtual home game for the Jayhawks. All right, so that was the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Like we said, full of upsets, the you know biggest upset anybody's ever seen. We all witnessed it. It was great. It was glorious. And shout out to all the 16 teams that are still dancing. And, you know, may they have their one shining moment in a couple of more weeks. And we'll keep you updated and abreast here on Know the Score. At this time, we're going to shift over to the NFL. There's still some wheeling and dealing going on ahead of the NFL draft. And the New York Jets decided to make a move. In free agency, they weren't able to sign a deal with one of the better quarterbacks for a long-term deal. So they did some uh, one-year deal with Teddy Bridgewater and another one-year deal with Josh McCown. And over the weekend, they acquired the third pick from the Colts in this year's draft. So they move up to number three. The Colts move back to number six. So this assures that the Jets will be able to get one of the young quarterbacks coming out in this draft. And the Colts looks like they'll be able to get defensive lineman Bradley Chubb a few picks farther down in the draft, which means they can pay him a little bit less. So it looks like this is going to work out for both teams, Dwayne. Your assessment of the Jets moving up to three and the Colts moving back to six. I mean, it was really a steal for the Colts. I mean, the Colts got a better package out of the tilt. I mean, you get three picks and then uh, a second rounder for next year. Uh, I don't know who the Jets are going to think about getting. I don't know if they're going to go on Allen or Big Allen, Darnold, Rosen, or Mayfield at this point. But, I mean, if it was in the best interest for the Jets to mortgage the rest of their future and get a quarterback for the future, more power to them. But the Colts, I mean, now they just have to do the right things with these picks and see where it goes from there. Well, I think we've seen the last couple of times this has happened in the last few drafts that if you're one of these teams that doesn't need a quarterback, you're in a really good spot because, um, you know, it takes a lot for a team to move up to draft one of these quarterbacks now. And so if you're the Colts and you're looking for a defensive player, yeah, I mean, you know, it makes sense. You're not going to want to pay him um, what number three pick would command, you know, as a defensive end necessarily right out of the gate. So you get to, you know, save a few dollars there. And like you said, you pick up 
more draft picks because, you know, the Colts are in a rebuilding stage just like the Jets are. But the Jets are so desperate not to miss out on a quarterback this year because they didn't get one in free agency that when you're desperate, you got to do desperate things. And, you know, they definitely have been lacking in, a, you know, a good quarterback since Vinny Testaverde. You know, maybe Chad Petty, uh, what's his name? The, the Pennington, Chad Pennington. Maybe since those days. So, you know, they're starved to, to have a, you know, competent, good, young quarterback. All right. So, yeah. you know, you, you sometimes you, you have to kind of maybe go above what is reasonable if this is the draft class you feel is the, you know, can't miss, got my future starter for 15, 12 years here in this, here in this class. Let's go get them and let's not wait. Mm-hmm. So, um, and some other news, uh, just some, you know, free agent uh, signings. Uh, Teron Matthew was let go by the Arizona Cardinals. He was not willing to take a pay cut. And so he got scooped up by the Texans. So the Texans are, you know, trying to reshape their defense, add some more to their secondary. Do you think this will be a good fit for the Texans? It's only a one-year deal. You know, Teron Matthew has had a lot of health issues, injuries uh, in his career. So, you know, maybe a long-term deal wouldn't be the best for the Texans, even though I'm, I'm sure that's not how he feels. Yeah, it's going to be one of those uh, proven deals to see what he can bring to the table and see what goes on with the games that they play and see if his production and A, if he can stay healthy, B, if his production is warranted of a, of a long-term deal. So uh, he's just got to prove it and then see where it goes down the road. Right. And in a not-so-fast-my-friend moment, the Carolina Panthers will not be signing cornerback Bashad Breeland due to Bashad Breeland failing his physical. Breeland apparently had a cut on his foot that has become infected, and I guess the doctors for the Redskins advised him how to treat it. He did not take care of it properly. It caused him to fail his physical and thus voiding his free agent deal with the Panthers. Dwayne, your thoughts? Well, I'm disappointed in that. And um, I wish he would have listened. But then again, Redskins team doctors haven't had a good history. See Robert Griffith. And so I would have probably not followed that advice either. Um, It's just one of those things where it just didn't work out. And maybe if he does get that sorted out and and it heals properly, maybe they could sign him to a smaller deal and then just go from there. So we just have to wait and see how everything goes for Breland at that point. Yeah, that's one of the stranger cases of a, of a guy uh, having to void a free agent deal is, um, you know, an affected cut uh, an affected foot rather due to a cut so you know hopefully he gets his health sorted out and uh, if he can't play for the Panthers and he does have to come back to the Redskins that you know he plays well for us so you know good luck to Breland though first and foremost get his health straightened out that doesn't sound really good to have an infection in your foot so especially when you play cornerback exactly <laughs> at this time just a reminder that this is know the score We're brought to you by CSPN.us, and we're sponsored this week by Busted Tees. 
the weather is starting to get very delightful. And that means that you're going to put those sweaters away and break out those t-shirts. So why don't you get some nice screen printed tees with cool sayings that represent your wit and your hobbies through busted tees. You can go through cspn.us, click on the menu, and then scroll down to where it says support the podcast and click on busted tees. Do your shopping as you normally would. And some of your purchase comes back to us to help keep the podcast free each and every week. So please support Busted Tees and CSPN.us. Our last topic, a little bit of NBA news. As the injury bug has started to come down and affect the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry has already been out for a couple of weeks with a bad ankle. Now KD is going to be out two weeks with fractured ribs. And Klay Thompson is going to be out at least a month, they say, with a fractured thumb. So Dwayne and the four-year run that the Warriors have had, the one thing that they've been able to claim is that their health has been, you know, top-notch. They haven't had a lot of uh, games missed due to injury from their stars. But this is not the case this year going into the playoffs. Now, is this kind of a double-edged sword where it looks kind of bleak right now, but in May, with these guys missing these extended weeks here in March, they're going to be fresh in the playoffs. It's going to be one of those things where we just have to see how things um, come about when when they come back. How if it's going to be rest or rest? So I would say it's a benefit to the rest of the league right now uh, that these guys are out. But Steve Kerr's a will definitely t- test the medal of Steve Kerr's coaching here. I know he's had uh, he's had, let these guys coach themselves at times, so uh, but he's really got to do some coaching now to uh, weather the storm. Um, I don't think I think as soon as um, the first or second round is going to be one of those where they'll be fine, and hopefully we get that anticipated seven game series with the Rockets that all of us NBA fans are looking for. What should be scary is that through this time that Steph Curry's been out, it looks like they found their backup point guard in Quinn Cook, and he's really had some really impressive games uh, scoring the ball, assist-wise, hasn't been turned the ball over, and his defense has been, you know, up to snuff. So, I mean, that's the thing. You know, last year when KD was hurt, it gave Steph Curry a chance to kind of find his game again going into the playoffs, and then, you know, they both were clicking on all cylinders you know, right through the finals. And now it looks like, you know, backup point guards kind of been an issue for the Warriors the past couple of years. And now it looks like that they're finding, you know, a backup point guard through this little stretch. And that may turn out to be something that a lot of teams won't won't be prepared for in the playoffs where they won't have that drop off as much usually as you get from the Warriors second team, you know. So just getting better through injury is definitely not something that a lot of the teams want to see from the Warriors. I agree, and I think also um, we might have to see how teams start to converge on Cook as the stakes get higher because he has not been in this situation yet. So, and that's going to be invaluable. Um, the composure of the backup point guard when these playoff run begin. Right now, in the Eastern Conference, the Toronto Raptors have gotten their grips on the number one seed. Looks like unless they just bottom out here, they're going to be this year's number one seed going into the playoffs in the East. So, Dwayne, my question to you is, 
Are the Raptors serious playoff and finals contenders or not? Playoff contenders, yes. Oh, yes, playoff contenders for sure. They're going to be in the playoffs. My real question was finals, <laughs> finals contenders. Uh, <laughs> finals contenders, I'm on the fence on that, uh, only because this team has had home court advantage in the past, and they've not defended home court very well. Um, we can remember the Brooklyn-Toronto series when they had Game 7 at home and they lost. We can have. We can also have the fact that the Wizards had – they had home court against the Wizards in one year, and they blew it. So, I mean, we got to defend home court, and the Raptors have historically not been uh, good at doing that. Um, you know, they're a really good team. I mean, I love Kyle Lowry. I love DeMar DeRozan, uh, Serge Ibaka, and Jonas Valachunas. And they have a lot of good players on that team, but you got to – at the end of the day, you know you can win on the road, but you gotta look, you gotta also defend home as well. And if they haven't learned that yet, they will probably never learn it. And so we just have to see if the if they can do that. I'm not ready to declare them finals contenders. Um, I think Boston, and of course, you know, as long as LeBron is in has a team in the playoff hunt, you can never count count out the Cavs. All right. Speaking of the Cavs, their coach, Tyron Lue, will be stepping away from coaching the Cavs for a few weeks due to health reasons. He's been in and out of uh, the past few games. Uh, he's missed some games. He's been uh, attended some games. Uh, he's been dealing with some chest pains. Uh, and so he's you know taking a leave of absence right now to try to figure out what's going on with him. And uh, hopefully, you know, prayers to him and his family that, you know, the time away will, you know, alleviate whatever issues he's got going on. But let's talk about the Cavs. Um, this is going to be the hardest road they've had to travel to get to the finals in a long, long time. Looks like they're going to be outside of the top three uh, this year. And now they're going to go into the stretch run with their coach and his health in jeopardy. Um, just talk about your outlook for the Cavs heading into the playoffs. And if LeBron does make it back to the finals this year, he will definitely have worn all the hats as the GM, the coach, and the player. I mean, we we talk about the Cavs like the season is bleak and the outcome is bleak. I mean, they're not that far off the Central Division lead from the Indiana Pacers, so they're still in the top four. They can still get into the top three. Um, they might just have to worry about just being a two or three seed and worrying about Boston in the second round. I think if they're smart they just they could probably take out the raptors again in the first round and i mean in the second round possibly and just go from there but let's not act like it's the end of the world they still have the greatest player in the game right now lebron james i mean he's doing things in his 15th season that is unheard of and even though cleveland has a struggle um you know he's not worried right now and the team looks loose, and I don't think there's a lot of panic among Cleveland fans either. So, and I, and I don't want people to think that it's misconstrued for, oh, God, the team loses, we're going to be in the eighth spot. No, it's not going to end that way. Um, the Cavs will figure it out. LeBron's been going to zero dark 30 mode pretty soon. Cleveland will be all right. All right. 
And our final bit of NBA news happens off the court as retired NBA player Glenn Big Baby Davis is arrested in Virginia on felony drug charges. Allegedly, Big Baby was pushing that sour diesel out of the Hampton Inn in Virginia. And uh, he they got some complaints as the manager of the hotel uh, smelled a small, a strong smell of marijuana. Apparently, he knocked on the door. Apparently, he heard a voice that said F off. And then, of course, that made the manager call the police. The police came and they searched the room and they confiscated money and things that made them believe that Glenn Davis was out here being the plug. So, Dwayne, your thoughts on Glenn Big Baby Davis being your local neighborhood drug dealer? Well, apparently he put out a video that said, don't believe what you see on the Internet. And he was eating Popeye's chicken and had cash money out, and he said he did all that by shooting jump shots. So I don't – I think this one of those things, you just got to let it play out in court. Um, the video was kind of funny, though. Uh, well, he make it – I mean, the situation isn't funny, but him his response was funny, though. Um, so he's, he's pretty adamant that he did nothing wrong. I don't know uh, whoever allegedly – because I remember um, – I was actually, I was actually at work with all this. I went down. Um, uh, they were trying to see if the if the information was from him, but apparently it wasn't. He says he's clear. The reports say he's not. We'll just have to see how it goes. Right. Definitely, it was a surprise to see uh, Big Baby trending, and then to see the reason why was even more surprising. So, you know, we'll definitely. Uh, follow this story and see what the legal ramifications end up being for Glenn Big Baby Davis. So at this point, Dwayne, I'll open it up to you for your final thoughts and shout outs. Well, final thoughts. Um, um, first, shout out to everybody listening. Thank you, as always. I definitely appreciate the support. And uh, shout out to um, our co-host, uh, Jesse Nobias, as always. Um, also, my final thought would have to be uh, the University of Memphis um, hiring Penny Hardaway as their head coach. Uh, Penny Hardaway, born in Memphis, raised in Memphis, played high school ball in Memphis, went to Memphis State University, which is now University of Memphis. Um, he's going to be the next guy leading the charge after the Tigers fired Toby Smith after uh, two seasons. And he's going to be trying to revive Memphis basketball. And uh, the thing is, he doesn't have um, any experience, but there are it's a long list of coaches who have gone either to their alma maters or went straight into coaching and haven't done as well as they we would expect them to. Uh, case in point, Chris Mullen. But um, you got guys like Patrick Ewing doing it. Mark Price did it, and uh, with no coaching experience, but just selling it off the name itself. Um, we'll see how Penny does, and also be on the lookout. Watch out, Calvert Chaney, who was um, Mr. Basketball by the '93 Nation Player of the Year for Indiana. He might be the next head coach in his hometown, coaching the University of Evansville Purple Aces too. No, I haven't heard uh, Calvert Chaney's name come up in any coaches and talk, so that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah, so, uh, but shout out to Penny Hardaway. 
Uh, shout out to Memphis basketballs trying to get back to the promised land that they haven't seen since John Calipari left. All right. I'd like to thank and shout out everybody who listens to the CSPN and know the score each and every week. I'd like to thank Dwayne for joining me this evening. I'd also like to give a shout out to Jesse and Tobias, our co-host as well. My final thought will be on the next game in the NCAA tournament. I've always felt that the first game of the second weekend is the toughest game of the NCAA tournament to win because usually you have to go somewhere far, far away from where you're used to playing and you have to generate all of that excitement back up again. It's the one game that doesn't have the buzz that all the other games do. The start of the tournament, everybody's excited. The Elite Eight game, you're one game away from the Final Four. The Final Four brings its own excitement. And the championship game, of course, is its own deal. But this Week 16 game is always, I've always felt, the toughest game to win. The eventual champion usually has their toughest game or their biggest scare in this round. So if you're one of the 16 teams available and you feel fortunate and you're fortunate enough to win this game, this upcoming game, you got a good shot to go to the final four. So um, good luck to all 16 teams and fan bases left. Unfortunately, the Tar Heels aren't one of them, but, you know, it'll still be a very entertaining and, um, you know, crazy tournament to go at. This may be a year where somebody that is off the radar ends up in the championship game against one of the Blue Bloods. It might be another Butler-Duke type uh, championship game. So you just God, never know. Not. That was one of the very entertaining games in it the was. tournament. Even though, I mean, the, you know, nobody the, knew who Butler was at the time. Right. At least it wasn't a UConn-Butler game. Right. Now, that one was bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully, yeah, you know, at least, you know, at least you had the title last year. So, you and the Tar Heels had the title last year. Um, hopefully, uh, it is in San Antonio. Kansas won the last time it was in San Antonio. I've been trying to stay away from the parallels, but hopefully something can happen but like you said it's a very tough game and i can't wait to see what happens on thursday and friday all right and on that note for my co-host the libra icon Dwayne, i'm don de and now you know the score